Welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today, I have with me Rahime Ramazani, who is the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Intercultural Practitioner, and you just launched a business, didn't you? I did. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be yeah, here. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about you know your your new professional news for a quick second. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm happy to talk about it anytime. Uh, my name, thank you so much, is Rahime Ramazani. I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion, and intercultural practitioner, including consultant, speaker, content creator as well. I love posting on all the social medias. That is definitely my thing. If you are not on social media, you are an incredibly healthy person. And like, what do you even do with your time? Do you have like a life in person with people and friends? Like, oh, like who? Anyway, uh, yeah. So I have a DEI consulting business that is me, myself, and I solopreneurship. It's definitely been a dream for a very long time. So I am very incredibly grateful to be doing that now. I focus on Muslim inclusion and equitable access in predominantly Muslim spaces, as well as incorporating religion overall, not just like considerations of Muslims into existing DEI efforts as uh, may, you know, the listeners may or may not know, DEI really has been focusing primarily up until this point on like race, sexual orientation and gender. And those are all really great areas of um, uh, attention that need attention. However, uh, bringing in religion is really important as well, even though it is incredibly sticky and there are very important reasons and to honor why they're sticky and people want to avoid the subject. However, most people around the world do identify with some religion or some faith of some kind. And so making sure that there is space to bring your full authentic self to work if and to the extent that you wish to. Yeah. And that's why it's so important that we have the conversation uh, today because you say bringing your full authentic self to the workplace. And I feel like, Mm. you know, what we're trying to do on this podcast is, you know, encourage those spaces where people can feel comfortable uh, where they work Mm. and have purpose in their work Mm. as well. So thank Mm. you so much for for joining me and having, you know, the the conversation that we're going to have. Um, So, you know, first, you know, breaking down common biases against Muslims mm. in the workplace, you know, they mm. happen. Um, so how do you break down those, uh, you know, that kind of bias when you work with uh, HR leaders or business leaders? Mm. Mm. Definitely. So in the United States, um, where is my current context? So overall in the world, there are an estimated 1.8 billion Muslims, billion Muslims. That's about 24, I think 25% of the world's population. That is a fairly old statistic. So like 10 years or something, I haven't seen more recent stats. So do with that information what you will. But however, having said that, like a huge percentage of the world's population is Muslim. However, bringing that to the United States, Muslims are estimated to only be about 1% of the population, about 3 million people. And that is mostly concentrated in major metropolitan areas. So if you don't live in a major metropolitan area, you probably have never met a Muslim. You have probably only learned about Muslims through the media, which 
uh, we can probably understand may lead to stereotypes, yeah. right? So in the workplace, if this is the first time that you are engaging with a Muslim or have a relationship with a Muslim in any like actual depth and not just being like, oh, look, there's a hijabi woman walking across the yeah. mall, <laughs> right? Hijabi is just like the word for a Muslim woman who wears the head covering, the Muslim head covering called hijab, which you can see me wearing. Not all Muslim women wear hijab. Uh, and it doesn't always look the same, but some Muslim women do choose to wear the hijab, um, again, as you see me wearing. And so like, that's one of the things that you can like visibly yeah. see someone walking in their distance and be like, oh, that person's probably Muslim. Uh, but again, that's not like any way of breaking down barriers or stereotypes. It's literally just seeing someone walk by. So the idea being, if you are in a working space where you're working with a Muslim and you have these stereotypes, taking things by the intrapersonal perspective, the interpersonal perspective, and then systemically slash institutionally. So what do I mean by that? Intrapersonally is like internally realizing, having the self-awareness when a bias or a stereotype starts to appear in your mind and then you start to act on that for either through your language or your behaviors, right? A lot of stereotypes around Muslims include like, oh, all Muslims are Arab. <laughs> or all Arabs are Muslim, right? So if you interact with someone who you know is Arab, uh, your automatic assumption is that they're Muslim when that simply is just not the mm -hmm. case. There are many Arabs who are Christian, who are Jewish, who are of any other religion or no religion, right? That's not the same thing. And actually most Muslims in the world are from and live outside of the Arabian mm -hmm. Peninsula. So that's one example. Another stereotype, especially around Muslim women, is that we are oppressed, mm -hmm. that we're quiet and we're meek and so we're submissive. And <laughs> if you have that stereotype, you clearly have not met any Muslim women. <laughs> so that is definitely something that if you have a Muslim woman, whether she wears a headscarf or not, Though I'm probably guessing, especially if she does wear a headscarf, because you would probably think if you have that stereotype that you've absorbed, uh, not necessarily by your choosing, but being aware again, now having that self-awareness that you do have that stereotype that you've absorbed, that, oh, Muslim women are oppressed. Oh, maybe you that translates into thinking, oh, this person is not going to be a good leader, not a good manager. This isn't going to be someone we want to promote. Yeah. Or this is someone who is just playing at her career until she gets married or has children or so on, right? Like you can like all of those things. Um, if she is naturally a quiet person, like Muslim women are, some are extroverted, some are introverted, some are talky, talkative mm -hmm. like me, some are not talkative. Like we all have different personalities yeah. and that's just inherently to them as an individual. But if she is like naturally a quiet person and it's not super chatty, does that play into the stereotype that, oh, yeah, look, she's so oppressed. Like, no, that's just literally her personality. Yeah. She just doesn't have anything to say, right? But now all this judgment around all of Islam and all of Muslims based off this one person. And that's so much pressure. It's not on her to carry the weight yeah. of all of other people's thoughts around a whole group of people. Um, Muslim men very much thought of, like, as oppressors or, like, they're beating up their mm -hmm. women or they're... Um, you know, beating up, not necessarily like physically, but like oppressing their uh, wives, their daughters, their mothers, their sisters, whatever, what have you. Um, and so Muslim men might feel a lot of pressure to like be very like overly soft, mm -hmm. right? To just put on 
a protective layer so that others don't, oh, you're so harsh or, oh, yeah. you're so, so, insert negative quality here. So there are many, this is just some yeah. of the Muslim stereotypes that people have. So the idea being, it's not necessarily to like have a list of all of them. I'm sure there are some that I know. I'm sure there are a lot of stereotypes that I'm not even aware of. The idea being is that everyone has enough self-awareness and has developed, actively gone out of their way to develop enough self-awareness to be able to determine, oh, I realize when a bias or a stereotype is coming up in how I'm thinking and then how I behave and act around this other person. An example I can use for myself, uh, obviously not necessarily, like, well, I mean, people internalize biases about their own group. So mm -hmm. in this case, my example is not about Muslims, though. Uh, so using myself as an example, <clears throat> even as someone who works in diversity, equity, and inclusion, I have a master's degree in intercultural communication. So like, getting to know people of different backgrounds mm -hmm. is like literally my mm -hmm. thing. So even with that, right, like, no one is perfect. That's yeah. not, that's not the goal is to be a perfect person and never make mistakes it's you will make mistakes and how do you bounce back from those and like take accountability is huge and then move forward so going back to my example so my mom was taking a course or signed up for a course from uh like a public speaking course from this person that she had met and gone to their uh program like their intro speech about pitching their program and she signed up and she was telling me about it and i had heard this person uh, it was like a webinar. I had heard this person talking on the recording and they speak with a specific ethnic accent in English, mm. right? And when my mom told me that she was going to be paying money, like a lot of money to participate in this person's program, my gut reaction was to like doubt this person's credibility. Mm. Be like, really? Like this person? And because I have gone out of my way and spent a lot of time and effort developing my self-awareness, even at that point, and this was years ago, I was able to catch myself in that moment and be like, oh my gosh, I'm having this negative association purely based on their accent, right? And so again, like, yes, there was a moment of feeling shame and embarrassment, even though it was like privately in my own mind, it wasn't like I was being caught in public. And it's okay to feel those emotions, like let it ride through you, like let yourself feel it. Like it's good to feel like some level of embarrassment for yeah. things when, you know, you make mistakes. I really believe like emotions are just signals to you about your outer world and giving you information, right? Mm -hmm. And when you let yourself feel those emotions and ride through you, you're able to process them and move forward. So I had that moment of being embarrassed. And now when I engage with people who have that same accent, I am very aware of like, hey, right, I mean, we know that we have this bias about this group of people that speak with this mm -hmm. accent. And so I'm going to be extra attentive to make sure that I am not making assumptions about their skills or their credibility, yeah. right? So that's just one example intrapersonally. And then of course, interpersonally in interactions with other people who in this case are Muslim, making sure that, you know, you're checking for if you are on a hiring panel, if there is someone who quote unquote looks Muslim, even if they aren't actually Muslim, you, that people aren't being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. If a Muslim woman does wear hijab or, you know, the religious head covering that she isn't afforded um, disadvantages based off of that. Mm -hmm. She's being judged purely on her credentials and her abilities. If someone doesn't want to shake hands with someone of another gender, like make physical contact specifically, it's not the handshaking specifically, it's physical mm -hmm. contact between 
yourself and someone of a different gender. Uh, they're not like, oh my gosh, you won't shake hands. How unprofessional. Mm-hmm. Okay, off you go. We don't want to hire you yeah. and so on. And so I also, you know, while you're speaking, I want to make it clear to the audience, you know, the amount of work you're doing, you know, emotionally um, Mm. and how it's tied to, you know, the work you're doing professionally. And so I want to thank you for, you know, Mm. coming on the podcast and sharing this information when it can be emotionally Mm. taxing for you, I I can imagine Mm. sometimes. Thank you. Yes, it is for myself and for anyone speaking about an area of marginalization that they experience and that their community experiences. Uh, Even having said that, I am incredibly privileged in the area of the country that I live in, that I am a U.S. citizen living in my birth country. I know there are Muslims and and other groups as well, right? I don't want to accidentally contribute to the stereotype like that Muslims are all foreigners, there are many Muslims who are citizens who have been in the country for many, 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 many generations. For instance, 30% of the Muslim American population is black, mm-hmm. right? So African-American, so those descendants of enslaved Africans, folks who are African themselves, African immigrants, or they are children of African immigrants. There's also Afro-Latinx uh, folks. There are like so many other places where like different people come that are not immigrant based. So like, just keep in mind again, like the diversity of Muslims, that's definitely something I'm a broken record around. Like Muslims are incredibly diverse. We're not a monolith. We are very different from each other and all those things. Again, like kind of going back to the idea of like, not all Muslims are Arab and not all Muslims are, or not all Arabs are Muslim and not all Muslims are Arab. And yeah. So thank you. I appreciate the recognition and understanding that, talking about an area of marginalization and trying to advocate for your group has like an extra little layer of um, stress, I guess, like emotional tax is what I've heard in DEI spaces. We refer to it as like, again, and and it's a good, I, I, I like that terminology, like a tax, like you just have that extra little layer that you have to pay. Uh, it's not just going to work, putting in your hours, doing the thing and then leaving. And then like, you don't have that like emotional baggage mm-hmm. that you yeah. have to like decompress after it's not to speak negatively or badly or lightly of other kinds of work, not at all. So please don't understand that. That's my, what I'm saying. That's not at all what I mean. Um, however, yeah, when you're doing the kind of work that this is like, you really have to be careful of self care and your mental health your physical health and yeah like just getting out in the sun and just being like oh okay (laughs) the world is not all shadows and (laughs) darkness yes um and i really appreciate you know how you gave that example of your own uh interpersonal bias because i think we're very afraid as humans of of messing up um Mm. but it's also important to recognize that you know like you said certain areas where people grow up don't give them Mm, access to that mm, to diversity that other mm, people have or there's that systemic you know deeply embedded systemic issues that you know are very difficult mm, to recognize unless you're being active about it so yeah mm, it's important to recognize that you know we live in a culture that there's there's bias embedded in our culture all over the place mm, yeah so it's interesting that you say that and thank you 
the in DI spaces, there's a lot of dislike for kind of the the mindset of like taking people where they're at and i understand why because usually taking people where they're at is an excuse for people to like dodge accountability mm-hmm. right and just be like oh this is just how i am and you just have to accept me and like okay so that's not cool like we're not gonna like dodge accountability yeah. or you know oh i don't know any better it's like okay well you should know better and like you're an adult you can learn you can take accountability and move on. So I appreciate the criticism of it from that perspective. However, what I would add, uh, and this is what I love about my intercultural uh, communication background being tied into my DEI work, is that all of us, no matter what our identities, privileged, marginalized, disadvantaged, advantaged, whatever, and the combination, most people are um, have combinations of privilege and disadvantage. Um is that none of us are like five years old, eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, surrounded by our caretakers. If it, that's our parents, teachers, babysitters, media, what have you, all of our different like sources of information as we're children and sitting around and being like, Hey, aunt, you just said this thing that is assuming this about this group. Could you please cite your sources on where you got that information? Like, no, there's no 10 year olds sitting around. Like all you do is you see these adults, like, and especially like as folks who were children, once ourselves, like we know children look at adults, like, Oh, you know, everything like you, like literally the whole world is something that you are aware of. You are teaching them, like, especially if you are, if they rely on you for like love and sustenance, which right, that that's what we're talking about. You're and children literally are not able, capable of having that kind of critical thinking, yeah. right? So all of us are growing up in those environments, absorbing messages that we are unaware of the full consequences of. And even to this day, as adults, we're not aware of the full consequences of uh, until we get older. And then we realize, and we learn, like we learn, mm-hmm okay, here are all the biases. Here are some of the biases. And I know that there are more that I don't know of that you only realize you have when you interact with other people, right? Which is why one interacting with different kinds of people is so important. So you can like further deconstruct biases that you have, but without putting it on the other person to like educate you for yourself instead of you taking on the work of doing that and hopefully not causing God forbid, causing any harm to them, though that does happen. Um, so again, realizing, so going back to the idea, all of us were children, we absorb messages from all these different sources, we literally were not capable of having the critical thought. Uh, so it's not your fault. However, that doesn't allow us to dodge the accountability of like, now yeah. as adults, we need to unlearn those things and take responsibility. And again, the whole point of we want to make the be- the world a better place for all human beings, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if that is not something you want to do, then that's a different conversation to be having. Uh, but assuming that everyone like listening here wants to make a world that is equitable for everyone, inclusive for everyone, and recognize the full diversity of human experiences, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing, then this is something that I put to you. So if we know that we're not growing up under environments that are perfect and keeping us free of biases and biases are like generally a natural shortcuts in our brains to be like, Oh, 
this happened and this happened. And so my brain makes a shortcut saying like, oh, if this happens or if I see this kind of person or these circumstances happen, then jump to this conclusion instead of having to do the math every single time from scratch. Like our brains inherently are trying to like find shortcuts, right? So again, like looking at our natural inclinations and not being like, oh, we're inherently evil, malicious people. So therefore, like I need to hate on myself. No, again, our brains are naturally wired to try and do less thinking. Yeah. So we have to actively push ourselves to think more and be more critically minded. Tying that into with the idea, and this is something that I very much had to learn and I advocate a lot for those who either are at the beginning of their DEI career or other folks, honestly, like ever engaging with this kind of work, social justice, DEI or what have you, is the idea if you are, especially if you're a recovering perfectionist, (laughs) which I am for sure, is the idea is that I had in my mind that the goal was that, okay, if I put in the work and I put in the time and effort, I am going to reach this perfection stage that I will never cause harm. <laughs> I will never make any mistakes. I will never use commit another microaggression again. I will never be called out or called in because I'll be perfect. I just <laughs> won't ever make a mistake. And that's the goal, right? And anytime I made a mistake, it was like, shame on you. You have not gone to that perfection state yet. You are still vulnerable to critique and you need to work better to be perfect so well you know (laughs) you're laughing because yeah like when you say it out loud you're like that is ridiculous (laughs) that's not possible and so like let me say to you directly you listening today that is not ever going to be possible the goal is not perfection perfection doesn't exist you and i myself included i do this work professionally I will always make mistakes. You will always make mistakes. So letting go of that, I have to be perfect, like learning to let go and accept. And then what you replace that with is when you know better, you do better. Learning to take accountability. When someone does call you out or call you in, whatever method that they use, you can recognize that, oh, I'm being told that I made a mistake or I you know, God forbid committed some harm or I, you know, um, I committed a microaggression or what have you, but you're not shocked. Like you're not so rocked to your core that that happened because you knew that that would happen eventually, right? You're like, okay, I knew this would happen and then it has happened. So you're not shooken, shaken to your core. You're able to bounce back. And then how do you respond? Okay. How do you take accountability? Do you need to apologize? How do you apologize? How do you apologize with sincerity and respect, respecting that person's boundaries, not expecting them necessarily to forgive you or that they need to do something to make you feel better? Mm -hmm. And then how do you take that as a learning moment into the future so you don't make that same mistake, hopefully, again, into the future, knowing that you will make other mistakes Mm -hmm. and going on from there, right? Um, and so for me, I know when I get called out or called in, like, it's still difficult. I don't want to pretend that oh, it yeah. isn't. Uh, however, it's not the like, I'm a failure as a human being <laughs> the way it used to be because I knew I would like, and I know I will continuously. Right. So for audience so. members that aren't sure the difference between being called in or called out, could you identify mm, the two? Mm, mm. Yes, thank you. That's an excellent point. So 
Calling in is generally the more preferred option. However, it is more labor Mm -hmm. on the part of the person doing the calling. Mm -hmm. So the idea being is that it is an invitation to check your privilege or check your assumptions or, hey, you don't realize that you may be committing harm. Let's have a conversation about it. Let me discuss it with you. Let me explain it to you. That sort of thing. Uh, It can be done publicly but usually is done privately. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, like if two coworker, no, if a group of five coworkers are in a meeting together and one person commits a microaggression, the other per- one of the other coworkers will pull them aside afterwards and ex- like hold space with them and call them in and explain to them what the problem was and work through their you know emotional response and all of that. So you can see that that like that's a lot mm-hmm. of work for that person. Uh, calling out, there are different like feelings in the DEI space around calling out. Some people are more likely to lean on that method than others. And I, my belief and understanding is that those who rely on calling out more, which is more like a direct, like publicly, Hey, you're causing harm and not, not paying as much attention to that person's reputation, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, is the point being that you, the person doing the calling out doesn't owe the person causing harm the protection of their reputation because they're actively causing harm to another mm. human being, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't get as much protection for your good intentions if you are actively hurting yeah. someone, yeah. right? Um, so I can understand that. I personally am inclined to leave calling out for public figures who will not be responsive without a public outcry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, leaders, politicians, similar sorts of individuals, um, they are, especially folks in leadership, especially those with institutional power. Yes. So this would include company leaders as well. Mm-hmm. If you are someone who really should know better, who should have teams. If you have a DEI department, you should have a head of DEI who is on your C-suite, who is directly advising you, telling you what's what. You should give them enough power in the organization to be able to educate and you know put policies into place where things like this doesn't, don't happen. And so if it does happen because you are like actively just not caring enough to do so, then uh, I'm sorry, you probably deserve to be called out publicly, right? Like you're actively causing harm to people. So that would be the difference between calling in and calling out. Thank you for for sharing. Um, You know, it's definitely, yeah, I think the calling in approach is, can be so helpful. And I appreciate it Mm. when I'm called in myself, when I make mistakes. Mm. But yeah, agree that, you know, if there's a how the hell did this happen moment that then you mm. deserve to be called out. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. So um, we are reaching the 30 minute mark. So the last portion of the podcast, I really like to mm. get into how, um, you know, American culture has really, really Americanized Muslim words. Um, and, you know, for, um, you know, for example, we hear, you know, I feel like we say Iraq uh, so often, you know, and that's not, you know, with our American accents, I have my Midwest nasally accent and we just really mangle 
um, mm-hmm. you know, terms. Um, so can we discuss that for uh, the last part of the, the interview? Sure. Uh, yeah. So like for me, what comes to mind is uh, my father's from Iran. And so for me, like Iraq is like Iraq, not Iraq. Um, Iran, not Iran. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing. Just Iran. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. Like, I know I I have friends from Pakistan, which I, as someone born and raised in the United States who speaks with an American accent, English is the only language I speak. American English is the only language I speak. I say Pakistan, but when I talk to my friends from Pakistan, they say Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so even then, like, I know that I'm not pronouncing it the way that they would. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, for instance, like, and this is like outside of the Muslim context, China does not call itself China. Mm-hmm. South Korea doesn't call itself South Korea. Um, like a lot of countries have named other countries, different things. However, what you're saying around like Muslim majority countries, just being careful not to conflate a country with a Muslim majority or even a Muslim government mm-hmm. with like being like representatives of Islam or like, mm, yeah, just like being a little just attentive around um, that like correlation. Yeah. But yeah, definitely like Arab or other cultures, country names, definitely like getting a little bit of an American uh, pronunciation twist. But yeah, especially Iraq and Iran being like the top two in my mind. Yeah, because I know that it's those two countries have been talked about quite a bit in you know mm-hmm. in American. What culture. could you possibly be referring to? I'm I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry, I'm I'm incredibly sarcastic. <laughs> like I don't mean I'm good. That's why I enjoy you. <laughs> so, oh yeah. good, I'm so glad. No, my humor gets me in trouble a lot of times. Like I have to be very careful. Because growing up, like both sides of my family, so funny because my mom is uh, like of mixed European, white descent, and my dad is an Iranian immigrant, but both sides are incredibly, incredibly sarcastic. So like there was no way I wasn't going to be a sarcastic human being. But, you know, getting older, you realize that a lot of people don't understand sarcasm. Mm -hmm. So if you are around someone who speaks fluently in sarcasm all the time, you come off as a horrible human being. Like people take you seriously. You're like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. I didn't mean that. No, no, no. Like, please. And they're like, what do you mean? Why would you say something if you didn't mean it? I'm like, oh, this is yeah. like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am for someone who, you know, has to reel in the sarcasm a little. I, I can relate mm, very much. So. We're yeah. just goofing off. That's all we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if, if it sounds like I just said something completely ridiculous and you're shocked that I just said, like, that's a pretty good indication that I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, wrapping up, I know that it's really important that we all work on sharpening our skills Mm. to recognize and mitigate bias. So for people Mm. who want to really, um, you know, have that self-awareness, where's a good place Mm. to start? So like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm really big on like social media, which again, it's not for everyone. And I'm not talking about posting, I'm just like consuming social media content. And I know there are a lot of folks who uh, that's not their thing. And again, you are like an incredibly healthy human being and I'm jealous. (laughs) But 
if for the rest of us trolls who are on social media all the time, um, one method, yeah, no, like That's a lot of people, like, thank you. I am, like I basically live on, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, so what I love about social media is being able to learn about different groups across time and yeah. space without like having to be in person because again like using muslims as an example in the united states most muslims are in major metropolitan areas and even then like again it's only like one percent of the u.s population the fact that you would have to go out of your way to like meet muslims and then it's like are you friends with muslims just to like collect your muslim friend card like no one wants to be your like tokenized identity friend like no don't do that so alternatively what i love is go on social media, whatever site you prefer, right? I'm really big on LinkedIn and I really like TikTok, which is really weird and funny because it's like <laughs> totally different sides of the social media spectrum, but I really love it. So go to whatever social media platform or platforms you enjoy, go to those platforms and find Muslim content creators or any content creator for other groups that you don't identify with. Like try and pick like one at a time so you can really focus on them and learn more about it. And then like, as you feel like you're starting to get a lot of repeat content and you understand a lot about their group, uh, add another one. Like don't like unfollow all the other content creators, but just like add another one as you feel like you have the capacity. So the idea is like go and follow a number of accounts, not just one, because there's never going to be one Muslim experience, Mm -hmm. one black experience, one female experience, one, I don't know. Indian experience like what what have you what other whatever identity that you want to learn about there's never going to be one different uh, one perspective on that so following multiple creators who have different lived experiences of the same identity and whenever you're on social media you're going to see their posts and it's going to take 30 seconds maybe 60 seconds to read the post to watch the video read the graphic whatever it is And then you scroll by and you continue with your social media feed as usual, right? And so the idea is like over months and months and months, it's like drip, 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 drip. All of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but like this very slow integrated way, you're learning about another group. If you read the comment sections, other folks from other identities who aren't necessarily content creators might add their own two cents and you get to hear these other perspectives as well. That has been for myself, again, as someone who's on social media a lot, such an incredibly like accessible, doable way when you're really busy with life and you don't have time to like go attend festivals or like I would love, for instance, to go to a bunch of religious centers of different religions Mm -hmm. and attend programs to just like get an understanding of their religions and how their programs work and stuff like that from an interface sense. That would be amazing. I don't necessarily have time to do that, but I can go follow 10 or five to 10 accounts from different religious groups. And as I'm on social media, I drip, 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 hear about their their identities, their different holidays, what that looks like. They post pictures, they post videos, they share videos and content from other creators and so on. So that is something that I find is incredibly doable for very busy people who want to be inclusive and learn about other groups. And also, again, the idea being that these content creators are already putting out content like they're doing the labor yeah. and you're not going again to your like tokenized identity friend to like educate you from scratch. Yeah. They were already going to do those things. And of course, please do support those creators in the forms of like likes, engagement, comments, watching the full video, sharing it with friends and stuff, because a lot of work goes into creating 
content on social media. If you don't create content on social media, you might not, you know, necessarily be aware of it, but it is a lot of work. Uh, and most folks are not being paid for it. And again, especially if you're benefiting uh, educationally from it, um, it's really, really wonderful to just, you know, subscribe to their channels or follow them or like things, you know, it really is supportive. of Yeah. And Rahimi, I want to uplift you for a minute because, you know, as I mentioned, the, mm. we've met each other through social media yeah. and yeah, 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 I am just in awe of how dedicated you are to creating content. And what I really like mm. about your content is, you know, it has, you know, those moments where you're educating, but then you have funny moments of just like mm-hmm. your life and, and it's like 10 seconds yeah. and it's, it's digestible. Mm. It's, you know, um, it's sharing your life in addition to sharing best practices. So, mm. um, you know, because I yeah. just adore what you're doing on social media, could you oh, share you. where people can find you? Yeah. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for asking. So my home is my website, rahimayramazani.com just my name. However, unfortunately, I'm sorry. Yes, you will have to learn how to spell my name. (laughs) Uh, But on there, you'll find links to LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. Um, I am most active on TikTok and LinkedIn, but I know that's not everyone's thing. You will find me on Instagram uh, and on YouTube as well. I really encourage you to check out the content that I put out there. I am continuously learning from people's engagement and what topics people are interested in. So please feel free to leave feedback on what kind of other topics you are interested. Um, I don't, just to be clear, I don't talk about Islam, the religion very much because I am not an Islamic scholar and my purpose is not to teach the religion Mm -hmm. per se. It's more about like the lived experiences of the people and, you know, just humanizing us as again, as human beings that we are. Yes. Thank you so much again for your time. Uh, This is such a valuable uh, conversation. Um, And before we sign off, is there anything that you would like our audience to know? Thank you so much, Lindsay. I really, really appreciate it. I'm honored to be here. It is a privilege to speak with you and to speak with your audience. If there's anything that I can leave listeners with is that no group, Muslims or otherwise, are a monolith. Mm. And what I mean by that is no one group is a giant gray blob that all thinks the same, lives the same, values things the same, and so on. Um, I'm really big on, like, yes, I use Muslims as an example. That's my lived experience. That's what my business is centered around. However, hopefully you're able to remove the word Muslim and replace it with other identity groups and the general strategy should be able to apply. So again, Muslims are not a monolith, but no group is a monolith and you can learn generalizations. I personally believe that generalizations help kind of give you a shortcut into understanding generally how cultures and different identity groups work and what they might, how they might be different from others. However, you need to be able to have respectful conversations where you check in with the actual people in your Mm -hmm. life whether they're coworkers or friends or community members or what have you about what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Because if you assume things about them, like honestly, the assumptions are like the worst thing. Like anytime you assume something, every time I assume something about someone, I'm like, it embarrasses me every single time. Yeah. So getting really, really good about learning generalizations, but then, having respectful conversations to check in with the other person. Amazing. Uh, If you or anyone you know is like Rahime and is dedicated to making the workplace a place where people can be their full selves, 
reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.